New Life Church. How you doing this morning? It's good to see you today. And man, this service has been phenomenal thus far. God's Spirit has been here. Worship was awesome. And you know, uh, if you watch sports a lot, when a game goes into overtime, or like the other night, the World Series went into extra innings, into extra, extra, extra innings. You know, they say that's free baseball. You get you get free sports when it goes into overtime. God's Spirit's already moved in this place. He moved here in worship, and so this is ju- this is just free stuff, man. Everything from here on out is just a bonus. Whatever God does from here on out, He's already worked. And man, I'm just I'm so thankful for His presence. I don't want to ever take that for granted when He shows up. I always want to be appreciative of Him. And uh, as as Pastor Cody said, my name is Pastor Tyler, and my family is new to Georgia. Uh, we are New Cantonians, and uh, that's a term that I say all the time. And uh, I don't think it's going to stick, but I've been trying to make it a thing, but we're glad to be here, and you all have been so hospitable to us and just welcomed us, made us feel like part of the family, and we just appreciate that so much, and we love what God is doing in this church and uh, the heart that this church has, and I truly believe this, uh, as I've had conversations with Pastor Allen and, and both of us been praying about this transition and all this, I, I believe this, I'm not just saying this because that's what a staff member is supposed to say. I believe that this church is led by a man of God, and uh, I give honor to our lead pastor today, and uh, don't don't take this responsibility lightly of filling this pulpit this morning, and so I give honor to him, the whole staff, just that this church is an amazing place, and we're so thankful to be here, believe that God has something significant he wants to do in this season, amen. Psalm chapter 118 is where we're going today. And I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I forgot to mention this in first service, but I I have a Pentecostal background. And so what that means is that as I'm preaching, I like it when you preach back. Right? Like, I like it when you say, yeah, that's good, even if it ain't good. It just makes me feel better. And and the, the key is this, is that as I get excited, I talk faster. And the faster I talk, the quicker the sermon gets done. And so while you back me, we get, we get to go to lunch early, right? So, so a good amen here and there, it'll pay off in the end. Amen. Psalm chapter 118, Bible says in verse 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. If you don't have any other reason, that's good. He's good. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Now jump to verse 5. I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me. And he set me in a broad place. Yeah. Man, that, that'd be good to preach right there. Just that I called on the Lord and he answered me. How about that? A God that I, I'm not just calling out to some dead idol. I'm not just calling out to something, the wind or the sun or the rain. Or like, like when I call out to my God, he answers me. And not only does he answer me, but he, he sets me somewhere. He does something. Y'all going to be careful. Y'all, y'all are rowdy and I like it. You make me preach. I called to the Lord in distress, and He answered me, set me in a broad place. I want to talk to you for just a few minutes today about breathing room. Can we bow our heads and pray together over this moment? God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your spirit that we felt and that I even feel right now, God. Believe that you're speaking to hearts even in this moment. And I pray that you would get me out of the way, God, that you would let my words be lost in your will. And God, that I could just get in the vein of the flow of your spirit. And let you accomplish what you want to accomplish in this place. And we give you all the glory because it's all about Jesus anyways. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 I wonder if there's anybody in here today that 
you'd do some group therapy with me and you would openly admit I have some illogical fears. Anybody? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I, I said this in first service because not many people raised their hand either. That I think some of our, our illogical fear is raising our hands in church. We, we have an illogical, like we're, we're apprehensive to do that. And so some of us have illogical fears. There are all kinds of different ones out there. Um, I'm, I'm a big person. I'm about six foot two. I weigh about 200 pounds, but I'm terrified of little bitty things called spiders. And if I see one, my, all my masculinity just seems to just seep out of my body and I go running and, and jumping on the highest thing that I can get away from the spider. Snakes, mice, all that stuff freaks me out. I don't know why it just does. And why I'm telling you that I really don't know either. But my, one of the first illogical fears that I came to encounter in my, my young teenage life was the fact that I have an illogical fear of heights. And one of the tendencies or the really frustrating things about illogical fears is that you do not know you have them until you are experiencing them. Like, like nobody just, you're born and they're like, yep, that kid right there, he's, he's going to be scared of this or that. They don't know until you get in the moment that it provokes it. And you're like, yep, I'm scared of heights. Now I know. The way it happened for me was my dad was pastoring a church in Kentucky and uh, they were putting a new roof on the church. And as is the case in many ministries, money is just not an overly abundant resource. Right? There's not a lot of churches that are just like, you know what, we have so much money, we just don't know what we're going to do with it. We're just, we're just overflowing. And that was the case in this church as well. And so there had been a, a group of guys at a church across the state that had said, hey, if you'll pay for the materials, we'll bring a crew down and, and we'll put your roof on. We won't charge you labor. You can invite some of the guys in your, in your church to come and help us. And so I was 14 at this time and I thought, this is a great opportunity for me to get an extra punch on the man card. You know, like get on a roof, learn how to put shingles on, all that good stuff. I mean, that, the, the girls are going to like that if I can say, well, you know, I, I have a little roofing in my background. It's just, it's not a big thing. So 14-year-old me shows up at church thinking I'm about to learn my trade, about to be a roofer. So I get up on the ladder and I climb up and I step off. And, and when I turned around, the ground was a lot further than I had anticipated that it was going to be. And I'm not talking that I got just like a little bit nervous and, and a few you know, drops of sweat on my head. I shut down. Like, I, I could not move. And like one of the guys across the roof from me was like, hey, would you mind to hand me that nail gun? And I was like, bro, I don't know if I physically can hand you this nail gun. I don't know that I have the capacity to move the three feet away from me that you are to give you the nail gun. Now, remember, the whole reason I'm up there is to prove how manly and tough I am. The whole reason I'm up there is to show that I have the capacity to do manly things. And before it was all said and done, I had to call two other grown men over to hold my arms as I walked the three steps to get back on the ladder and go in the church and help the ladies finish cooking the lunch that was going to be provided later. And, uh, yeah, it was, a good, it was a good time for me. I, I learned a lot. And so roofing is, that, that's, that's, why I'm, that's why I'm a student pastor. Because, uh, yeah, I'm not a good cook either. So nothing, nothing works for me. Illogical fears. Like, it doesn't make sense because the fact of the matter is it's a one-story church. I was probably 10 feet off the ground. If I had fallen, the worst that was going to happen was I rolled my ankle. I wasn't going to die, but I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified. There are all kinds of things like that, illogical fears that don't make sense, but yet they scare us. The number one most common illogical fear is claustrophobia. People scared of tight spaces. Some of y'all saying, amen. That's right. I don't like it. You get in a crowd and you realize if I wanted to leave right now, I couldn't because there's just so many people. You get in traffic, all God's children said amen to traffic. It brings out the claustrophobia in all of us that we can't get out if we want to. 
And there, there are researchers that estimate that 10% of the world's population has some form of claustrophobia. That, I mean, that's when you consider the, the vast amount of people that are alive on the earth today, to think that 10% of them have this fear of, of small spaces, tight spaces, that's a, pretty, that's a pretty large number. But I would say that without stretching or without being liberal in, in the assessment, that probably 99 and probably even 100% of us have spiritual claustrophobia. That we don't like it when we get in a tight space. When we get in that place that we feel overwhelmed, and I don't know how I'm getting out of this, I don't know how I'm getting through this, and, and it feels like the walls are closing, closing in and, and we're suffocating. We don't, we don't like that. And the Bible says, I read to you in this psalm that in verse 5 it says, I called on the Lord in distress. That word distress, it simply means a tight space. I called to him when I was overwhelmed by things, by stuff. And so for the sake of our conversation today, I'm defining spiritual claustrophobia as feeling internally suffocated by the circumstances surrounding us. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever just felt like, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to breathe, if I'm going to be able to take a breath because I got these bills and I got these relationship problems and I got this sickness. and I mean, whatever, you fill in the blank, but things around us begin to close in on us to where inside we feel suffocated. And so when we come into God's house and the Spirit of God moves like He did today and everybody else is worshiping, man, it's like we want to lift our hands and we want to respond, but I can't breathe. Because all the stuff in life is just choking. It feels, it's literally choking the life out of my spirit. Spiritual claustrophobia. I want to talk to us today about how we can acquire breathing room when we find ourselves in tight spaces. Because it's not a question of if hard times will come. Like that's, that's not even a question. Life itself, by its very nature, means that bad things are going to happen to us. We live in a fallen world that is still dealing with the effects of sin. And as such, we deal with things that we should not, that we really don't want to deal with. There, there are problems that we face that we don't want to face. Things about our life that are unattractive. So in those moments that we feel overwhelmed by things that we don't want to be a part of our life, how do we respond to that? How do we handle those moments? Because here's the thing. Yeah, that, that's right. Pray. Thank you guys. We'll see you. No, I'm just kidding. That what I try to do is I'm a fixer. I want to fix things. So if something's broken in my life, well, let's, let's study this thing and see what we can do to fix it. That's not necessarily a bad thing. I like to just get, you know, change, mix up, do whatever. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but, but often it doesn't work. I mean, we do our very best, but our effort really doesn't amount to much. Here's another thing that I do. I wonder if you're the same thing, that, that whenever I enter a bad place or I get a bad thing in my life or bad news or whatever, it's something I don't want, I like to get together a good argument to take to God and say, God, this is why I shouldn't have to go through this. Because see, here's the thing. For the last six months, I've prayed every day. And, and like I read, I read two chapters a day, Lord. And occasionally it's out of the King James Version. And so added bonus points, right? I, I, I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to do as a good Christian person. And as such, I feel like you should remove this trial from my life. Now you, you're acting like I'm crazy, but you know you've done this. 
You know that you feel like that just because you've checked off your religious boxes for, for whatever amount of time, that, that means that nothing bad is going to happen to you. But the fact of the matter is, whether we're a Christian or not, whether we pray or not, whether we read scripture or not, life happens. Struggles come. I mean, I mean it, it is a reality. So what do we do in these situations? The psalmist in Psalm 118 says, give thanks to God. For he is good. It's that simple. I mean, isn't that crazy? Such a simple, like, like objective, and yet it is so hard to do. I mean, yeah, we get together in church, and, and man, when the Spirit's moving, and when the pastor's preaching, and when the music is awesome, it's easy for us to say, yes, thank God. But what about when the broken situation happens on Tuesday afternoon? How hard is it in the midst of that when you get laid off? Whenever you do go through the argument with your spouse, whenever your kids do that thing that just blows your mind, how could they be so dumb? When that happens, how hard is it in that moment to say, thank you, God, you're good. Man, that's tough. That's a hard thing. But the psalmist says, this is how we should respond to everything. See, I'm convinced we're coming up on Thanksgiving next month. And uh, all those who love food love Thanksgiving. So mostly all of us love Thanksgiving. But I'm convinced that Thanksgiving is one of the least legitimate times of Thanksgiving. Because it's easy to give thanks when the turkey is perfectly basted and cooked and the pumpkin pie is fresh and the pecan pie is still warm and the butter melts onto it. And it's second service and I'm hungry. So um, <laughs> families around, football's on. It's easy to be thankful in that moment. What about when we walk away from the Thanksgiving table and the next week the turkey that's in the fridge is bad and, and we don't have to get paid till next Friday. Don't know how we're going to get groceries. Thank you, God. You're still good. It's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. And I, I don't want to diminish that or act like, yeah, we need to get that together. But today's message is, is for those of us that have circumstances that feel like they're kind of constricting our praise constricting our pursuit. Psalm chapter 118 is interesting because most of the Psalms, commentators and scholars can pretty much narrow it down and say this is who wrote the Psalm when they wrote the Psalm. Psalms 118 is one of those that there's a lot of different opinions about who wrote it and why they wrote it. Some people believe David wrote it after he had been chased by Saul and Saul had tried to kill him. And after all that was over, David wrote Psalm 118. Some people believe it was the Israelites after they had come out of exile and they went back into their hometown and were able to rebuild the temple and all that stuff. But the line of thinking that I'm of today and that I'm using for our discussion is that there are also that believe, there's also those that believe, excuse me, that Hezekiah wrote this psalm after he had been healed in 2 Kings chapter 20. And it's an interesting story because Hezekiah, if you don't know his backstory, he's a king that basically came into power and eradicated all idol worship and did everything he could do to make the nation godly and make it holy. And he really had a heart after God. And then at one point he gets a sickness that's really bad, so much so that he calls the prophet Isaiah. And he says, I need you to come and pray for me pretty much. And how many of you know when you call the prophet or the pastor to your hospital room to pray for you, what you want him to do is walk in and say, you're blessed and highly favored. You're the head and not the tail. You're going to get a 30-fold, 60-fold, 90-fold, 100-fold blessing. Every fold is yours and it's all going to come and you're going to, I mean, it's, it's going to be good. That's what you want to happen. But when Hezekiah calls Isaiah, Isaiah comes and he walks in and he looks at Hezekiah and he said, God spoke to me and you're going to die. Thank you, Pastor Isaiah. 
you could have just sent a potted plant and that would have been just fine. But thanks for coming and declaring that I'm going to die. The Bible says that Hezekiah gets this news. And the first thing he does with this, the way he responds to this, is he goes to prayer. Now, when I get tragic news, when things come my way that, that I'm just not a fan of, usually the first thing on my to-do to do list, to do list, I'll get that said eventually, is not my devotional life. Like I don't hear get the diagnosis and think, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go pray now. Usually what we like to do is we like to wallow in self-pity for a little while. And we like to tell ourselves that no one's ever gone through what we're going through and nobody's ever faced this. And, and, and we have this whole slew of things that we tell ourselves. But Hezekiah says, you know what? In spite of the bad news, in spite of the struggle, in spite of what I'm going through, I'm going to go spend some time with God. That right there is the very first step to navigating a tight space is to realize that it's always good to go to God. Even if it means you go to him and you express your frustration and you tell him you don't understand. See, we got this mixed up idea that God only loves for us to come to him when we're in a positive mood. And God only loves for us to tell him how wonderful he is and how wonderful our life is. Did you know that God wants a relationship with you? And the very nature of a relationship is that it's not always you're so beautiful, life's so wonderful, everything is grand. See, relationship doesn't happen whenever you're, I mean, whenever I got married, my wife is right down here in the front row. God has blessed me with a beautiful wife, beautiful family. But whenever we were dating, like we both made sure, like the hair is in place, the clothes are good, the breath is smelling nice and fresh when we're together. But when you really get a relationship and you, and you get married, we do not wake up with fixed hair in the mornings. We do not wake up with wintergreen fresh breath in the mornings. Because relationship isn't about everything being well and good. Relationship is about even with the good and the bad, for better or for worse, come sickness or death, like we're, we're together, we're in relationship. God wants us to bring even our frustrations and our offenses and our, our, our questions. Hezekiah goes to him. And he prays and pretty much tells him, God, I've been doing your thing. I've been trying to work for you. I've been trying to live for you. And yet here I'm facing this. What is it that kept Hezekiah from just giving up? Just saying, God, if this is all you have for me, then I don't want anything to do with you. If this this is the result of faithfulness, then count me out. What is it that kept him from doing that? I believe that it's the fact that Hezekiah had personally experienced the goodness of And the prosperity that comes from following and experiencing God. It wasn't that he had heard it talked about. It wasn't that he had heard it read about that his dad or his grandpa. No, Hezekiah had gotten it for himself. It was his experience. When hard times come, only a personal experience with God will sustain your faith. See, when the trial comes, the Bible tells me so. I mean, don't get me wrong. I believe in the power of God's word, but you need more than just the Bible tells me so when you're facing a trial. You need more than just anecdotes and and cute little sayings whenever you get the prognosis. You need to have been in the presence of an almighty God and have experienced his power in your life. A personal experience. It's not that your mom got it, your dad got it, your brother, your sister, your spouse. No, I got it for myself. I experienced him for myself. He changed 
my life. And I'm thankful for your testimony. And I'm thankful for what God did for you. But you know what excites me and draws me closer to God than anything else? The fact that I was bound for hell and Jesus found me. The fact that I was bound by things and God set me free. See, it's my experience that sustains my faith. It's a personal experience. So Hezekiah pursues him. And God heals him. It's a great story. But we're real good at deflection. Or saying, well, yeah, that, that doesn't apply to me. Like, that's a cool story. And if Hezekiah wrote it, that's a great psalm, whatever. But that doesn't apply to me. Because, I mean, first of all, it was Old Testament. And, and, you know, Hezekiah, he wrote it after it was all said and done. And it's real easy to have faith when you know the outcome. It's real easy to be thankful when you're past the sickness and you've been healed. But did you know that this same model of thankfulness is displayed to us by a character in the New Testament? In Matthew chapter 26, we read where Jesus is about to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And before he does, he's with his disciples. And the Bible says that they sang a hymn. Almost all commentators and scholars agree that the hymn that they sang was probably Psalm 118. And so before Jesus goes to Gethsemane, before he goes to be arrested, betrayed, beaten, abused, he gets his disciples together and he starts singing. Give thanks to God. For he is good and his mercy endures forever. I was in distress. I called to him in distress and he set me in a broad place. Jesus sings this with a confidence in the character of God. He sings this and says this with an understanding that God is good. But then immediately goes to Gethsemane where he prays this prayer. If it be your will, let this cup pass from me. See, we forget sometimes that though Jesus was the Son of God, He also dealt with humanity. And He was also anxious. And He he wasn't all that excited about the cross because Scripture says that He endured the cross despising the shame. It was not something that He put on His calendar and circled it and said, yeah, I can't wait to get there. No, just a few days before He gets in Gethsemane and says, God, if there's any way... If there's any way that these circumstances could be different, if if there's another way, would you let it happen? He prays this prayer. But God says no. See, that's the thing. A lot of times we think prayers go unanswered. They all get answered. Just a lot of them are no. We say, God, would you do this? And we think he didn't answer. No, he answered. He just said, no, I'm not going to do that. Jesus prays, would you let this cup pass from me? But the cup didn't pass from him. Now, you have to understand that Jesus, at this point, everything he prays happens. He prays over Lazarus too, and boom, here comes Lazarus, who's been dead for three days. Walks out. He, he prays for lame legs. They start walking. I mean, he even comes to a, a fig tree that hasn't borne fruit, and he says, God, let this tree wither, and the next day he comes back and it's dead. Up to this point, Jesus' prayers are unbelievably effective. What he says happens until he says, let this cut pass from me. What do we do when God stops taking our suggestions? What happens when you pray and you seek and you ask and it doesn't? Happen the way that you thought it should. Well, the psalmist says, give thanks for God is good. One translation says it like this, to keep on giving thanks. Even when things don't happen the way I think they ought to, 
Keep on giving thanks. Even when the sickness doesn't leave, keep on giving thanks. Even when the relationship doesn't seem to be mended, keep on giving thanks. Why? For no other reason than the fact that He is good. And the problem, the mistake that we make is that we let the badness of our life convince us of the diminishing goodness of God's character. That just because my life is hard and my situation is bad, that means God's not as good as he was when everything was going well for me. But Job said it like this. He said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. But in the midst of all of that, blessed be the name of the Lord. Because my circumstances do not affect the character of the God that I serve. When I'm healthy, he's good. When I'm sick, he's good. When I got money, he's good. When I'm broke, he's still good. My circumstances should not determine the way that I view him. They shouldn't, but they do. So many times we let our problem deter our praise. And we don't respond to God because we're so affected by the negativity that we're facing. What do we do in these moments? We can't buy into his diminishing goodness. We must continue to give thanks. Because when we stop praising God, we are revoking his invitation from working in our life. My, my son was in preschool in Illinois, and his teacher really liked him. And he's my son, so that's understandable. Um, just kidding. But she got married uh, a few weeks after he had started school there. And, and because she really liked our son, I was joking with my wife, and I was like, hey, we should go to her wedding. You know, that'd just be cool to just drop in and let her see Easton. And it's a very simple illustration, but Kayla was like, we can't go to the wedding because we didn't get an invitation. You do not go where you have not been invited. That's weird. Like if today after, after church I just showed up at your house and said, hey, I'm here for dinner. We didn't ask you to come. I know. I just, I just was hungry, you know, so I thought I'd show up. That'd be strange. That would not be socially acceptable. And, and we, we totally get that in a social context, but yet we think that God is just going to walk into our situation where we've been avoiding him and we've been cutting him off and we've been missing church and we've not been praying and we've not been seeking him. But in the midst of my hard time, God, just walk right in and do your thing. God's presence will only be experienced by those who extend an invitation. He's only going to move into your brokenness when you invite him into your brokenness. He's only going to move into your frustration when you invite him into your frustration. Psalm chapter 22 verse 3 says, But you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. This is a verse where we paraphrase a lot in church settings and say that God inhabits the praises of his people. So how do you send an invitation to God? If he only comes where he's invited, how do you give him an invitation? You praise him. You give thanks to Him. You give honor to Him. And as you praise Him, the Bible says that He is enthroned on our praises. Now, I love this. This is where it gets good. Because the term enthroned, that word can be translated. It's not just a momentary passing by. Like God just doesn't stop and come by and say, Hey, I just want to check in on you. Make sure everything was good. I'll be back next week. The term enthroned means to settle into. He settles into our praises. You know what that means? That means that he doesn't just stop by and check on your situation when you're broken. That means that he packs up everything that comes with his divine nature. 
And he brings it with him and he says, you know what? We're going to move in here and I'm going to take up residence and I'm going to live in your broken situation. And I'm going to live in your questions. And I'm going to live in your frustration because he is enthroned on the praises of his people. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, the Bible says, Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You know what that word liberty means? It means without restraint. So that verse could literally translate to say this. A place wherein the Spirit of the Lord is, is a place without restraint. Restraint. If you're feeling restricted, money, I mean, relationship, sickness, questions, worries, I can't breathe, it feels tight, I'm, I'm constricted. I've come to tell you today that there is a way proven and promised in God's word to experience breathing. It's to give thanks to Him. It's to give praise to Him. And as you do, His Spirit comes. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. See, I think that when the psalmist said, I cried out to Him in distress, He heard me, He answered me, and He set me in a broad place. I, I don't know that that was as much a change of location as it was a change of perspective. Because... When God's spirit moves into a situation, the situation may or may not change. Like he may take the sickness away and he may not. The relationship may be healed. I mean, just like that. Or you may have to walk through that season for a little bit. But the fact of the matter is whether the circumstances release around me and whether I get breathing room because the circumstances get better or not, I still find relief because as soon as his spirit shows up, There is no restraint. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, where I once was bound and I once was constricted, I now find liberty. And the situation may not have changed, but in spite of what I'm going through, I am fully aware of the God that I serve, that He is good and He is fully able to meet every need. So I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what you're going through today. But I believe God wanted me to share with you that if you just begin to release your praise and to give him thanks in spite of everything you're going through, I believe you could feel that place of distress become a broad place. And you could find breathing room in the presence of God today. I want us to bow our heads together.